Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is a podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians. Today is episode 362. Looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Let's read our passage. We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Well, this is Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica. This is during his second missionary journey. He is in Corinth along with Silas and Timothy. He had sent Timothy back to Thessalonica where they had just been a few weeks before. We don't really have a good time frame. And Timothy has now returned and joined Paul at Corinth. Silas has rejoined him too. We don't know if Silas had gone back to Thessalonica with Timothy or not. We're not told that. But they're all there, and it's the three of them are listed as the ones who are sending this letter. Although we know it's really Paul is the author of it, but he mentions all three of them. And so he begins here with saying, we always thank God for all of you. He says, we. I, Paul, along with Silas and Timothy. So he says, you know, we always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. So here he's, there's nothing really more than what he's saying here. We pray about you guys all the time, is what he's essentially saying. And and verse 3, we recall in the presence of our God and Father. Now, pause there for a second. The word constantly, depending on which version of the Bible you're looking at here, as I've read from the CSB here, is making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall. Some translations put the constantly with the verb recall, saying we make mention of you in our prayers and we constantly recall. And the, the Greek could go either way. So it doesn't really change the meaning, whichever way it goes, because he's just using general terms here. We pray about you guys. And and we think about you, we recall all the time, or we pray about you all the time, and we think of you. So either way, he's using generic general terms here. It doesn't change the meaning. So he says in verse 3, we recall in the presence of our God and Father. Now here he's making mention of the fact that as we are praying about you, it's brought to our remembrance through our conversation with God what is going on with you guys as we think about this and remember and pray. God's the one that brings this back to us. And he mentions your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we have that faith, hope, and love together. We see several times in the Bible this three words together, faith, hope, and love. The way he uses them here, your work produced by faith. Well, faith is a topic of chapters 1 through 3 of this particular letter. So faith is a big deal in his letter. But the way he's mentioning it here, it's not that your work has brought about your faith. It's that your faith has actually led to your work, your work produced by faith. 
So mentioning here that an outgrowth of faith is their work. If you truly have faith, that's what's going to cause you to do something. It's not enough just to sit back and have faith, but faith can prompt us to do something. Too often we turn that around and think that it's uh, our doing something is what makes God happy with us. But it's, that's the reverse the way it should be. It should be that our faith brings us into a relationship with God. And because of that, we're motivated then to do something. Work is produced by faith. Is your labor motivated by love? Now, just a literal translation of this could be a labor of love, your labor of love. But it would be unfortunate to translate it exactly that way just because of that, the way we use that phrase. When we talk about a labor of love, what we generally are talking about is something we like to do. Oh, I like what you've done with, pick a thing, the decorating of your house. Oh, it's a labor of love. Meaning, I do it so much because it means so much to me. I love to do this. That's not what this means. This labor means, this is hard. This is difficult. This is uh, not something enjoyable. It's, it's something that's very hard to do. It's labor, laborious. But the reason they do it is because of their love. He talks about love later. He'll mention their love in chapter 3, verse 12, and then pretty much continuously through uh, a good bit of chapter 4, particularly with, uh, chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. He's going to talk about their love and how it inspires them to live their lives. So here, uh, the labor of love means it's their love that's caused them to do hard stuff, do hard work. And then their endurance, inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Endurance goes back to, it's hard. What they're doing is hard, but they keep at it. They have endurance. They're able to endure because of their hope. And their hope is something he addresses pretty much throughout this letter. That their hope is, well, hope is related to faith. Faith, it means, is the object you're believing in. You have faith in Jesus Christ. But hope is what you're looking forward to. That expectation that God's going to be good on his promises. That's what he means when he's talking about our hope. And so here the faith, hope, and love. That's the motivations that cause them to serve God. Their faith leads to work. Their, their love causes them to work hard. And the hope that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ helps them to keep at it. Faith, hope, and love. Then in verse 4 he says, We know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. He uses the term brothers a lot. Now, the, the, the word actually here in the Greek is Adelphos, which means brothers. But the translators in this version have translated that as brothers and sisters because it's not meant as purely masculine guys, brothers. But it's meant as siblings, brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so it's a term of endearment, but a term also uh, more than just endearment. It's a, a something of a technical term in that we are siblings together because of our joint adoption by God. God's adopted you. God has adopted me. That makes us siblings, brothers and sisters in God's family. 
It uses this word here, brothers and sisters, love by God, that he has chosen you. You're chosen. Now, the word chosen, the Greek words ekloge, which means elect. And elect means choose. We go to the ballot box and cast our ballots and elect people for office. Every four years, we elect the president. We elect the governor. We elect various members of Congress. We have elections. That's the way the people choose who to serve. And so the word elect just means chosen. You are the elect. You are the chosen. Now, the Old Testament view was the people of Israel were the ones chosen by God. They were the chosen people. We throw that word around a lot now that the, the Israelites, the, the, the Jews, were the, the chosen people. And they were. They were chosen by God. In Romans chapter 9, Paul talks about that idea of those who are really the chosen people of God aren't just the physical descendants of Israel, but the spiritual children of Abraham. That is, all those who are chosen by God now are those who have faith in Jesus Christ. That is the chosen people. So from a a population perspective, that's the idea of being chosen, being the elect. Then if you really get into it, what's it mean to be elect, chosen, chosen by God? You have to really get into the idea of salvation. And that's where you get into the the big debate of, well, who, who does the choosing? Do I choose God or does God choose me? And we don't have time uh, to, to go into that big debate now, but it really comes down to who chooses salvation. And this is a very hard over on the free will aspect of, no, I choose God. I hear the gospel and I freely choose God or those from the more the predestination reformed perspective of you know, God chose me before the foundations of the earth. God chose me. The issue is that they're both right. And one of the things we've got to be careful is not to elevate our free will above God's sovereignty, but also we're called to choose God. But we can only do so because God chose us. And so there is a, a mystery there, a tension of the idea of God's sovereignty, God has clearly chosen those who will be saved, but yet I still respond in my own free will. And we just have to be comfortable with that tension and and try not to get too wound up in it because this is a a mystery thing here. We're talking about the, the nature of God and his sovereignty and his relationship with us. The Bible clearly teaches that God chooses, but then he also uses the language of free will that we choose God. And there's always a a free offer of salvation to any who will. But then there's also the assurance that God has chosen before the foundations of the earth. So advice is just don't get too wrapped up in it, but understand that God is sovereign. God's in charge. We still operate within his sovereignty of our own free will. And the good thing to know about that is if you have faith in Jesus Christ, You are chosen. You are the elect, loved by God. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue working through 1 Thessalonians.